electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange, everybody. It's been three months since the markets have seen the kind of action that we're seeing today. Dow's down 788 points, so we're near session lows right now. The day started relatively quiet. In fact, the Dow was up about 100 points in earlier trading. But as the morning went on, the selling accelerated, and the tech darlings in particular that have led this massive rally to the upside are now leading this sharp move lower. There's the Nasdaq down almost 5% right now. In one day, the Nasdaq is down almost 600 points after just poking above 12,000 yesterday. We're going to look at why the sudden change in confidence. Let's start with Dom Chu, though, for a look at exactly where we stand right now. Dom? All right, so Kelly, let's take a look at the uh, at least markets as we stand because we are right near the lows of the session so far. You mentioned the Dow's low so far today, about 808 points. The S&P at those lows we're down 127, so down 125, we're hovering right there. And, of course, the NASDAQ composite, really the underperformer today, it's down about 5%. If you take a look at the NASDAQ overall, this is a year-to-date basis. You've got to go all the way back to the pandemic lows, a huge move higher. This right-hand side of the chart and that little down move there represents a 5% drop from the record highs that we saw just yesterday. So to put it all in context, now, with the broader markets, you're seeing weakness fairly across the board, but some outperformance in what's happening with energy prices. Relatively flat right now for that sector. Utilities holding up as well. Meanwhile, the technology sector, consumer discretionary and communication services, the real laggards there. And as for the stocks that have been really, really leading to the upside and now leading to the downside, look at these names. Zoom Video, Apple, and DocuSign. Every one of those has made a record high, sometimes in a parabolic upside move, just this past week. They've now led to the downside here. And remember, DocuSign out with earnings reports later on this afternoon, ahead of a big jobs report tomorrow. A lot of things working right now. We'll see if this market at least tries to stabilize heading towards the closing bell, Kel. I'll send things back over to you. All right, Don, we'll see you again in a moment. But first, let's get over to Rick Santelli for a check on the bond market right now with yields moving lower and that all-important yield curve flattening a bit. We don't like that. Uh, He's watching all the action in Chicago for us. Hi, Rick. Absolutely. You're correct on all scores. What's going on? I talked to my sources. Big data, big number tomorrow. Rebalancing with tail hedging and obviously some of the stay-at-home stocks. But remember, at these levels, every sell-off is contagious. Look at an intraday of 10s. Briefly was trading right around 60 basis points, which is 10 basis points above open the chart up to early August. Our all-time low yield close from the 4th of August, basically at 50 basis points, half of 1%. As for the yield curve, Kelly nailed it. Yes, they're flattening. 10s minus 2s under 50. And let's take a wide curve trade. 30s to 5s, it's gone from 123 down to 110 in basically three sessions. And finally, it doesn't end there. And keep in mind, the dollar is virtually unchanged after a small bounce from 28-month lows several sessions ago. But commodity prices are getting hit pretty much across the board. Let's look at corn, copper, and gold on an intraday chart. You can see what I'm talking about. Kelly, back to you. Rick, stick around for just a moment, if you would. We have some breaking news from the Fed. Chicago Fed President Charles Evans speaking right now. Steve Leisman has those details. Steve. 
Kelly, thanks. Uh, Chicago Fed President Charles Evans saying that a new Fed action could be coming pretty soon. Uh, he expects, quote, outcome-based guidance where the Fed pegs changes in policy, specifically uh, to hitting uh, certain economic targets, as well as new quantitative easing. He says that could soon be beneficial, uh, very explicitly saying it could happen soon. Who knows if he means September specifically, but perhaps he does. Uh, he goes on to say the lack of fiscal action or fiscal aid represents a, quote, very significant downside risk to the economy, and it puts vulnerable households and businesses at risk. He is forecasting a strong third quarter rebound, uh, but ultimately sees the full year ending 5% below the pre-crisis level. Some other details on his economic outlook. He says the return to the pre-crisis level doesn't happen until later in 2022. Unemployment will be around 9% by the year end. The uh, unemployment rate will hit 5 to 5.5% 5 .5 by end 2021. So it takes a while until we get there. Finally, inflation he expects to be under 2% for some time. One other comment he talks a lot about is the human and economic toll, he says, both on kids and on parents and on the broader economy, is very large from not opening schools. Kelly? And yet, Steve, not much of a response in the market. 858 points. We were down a moment ago, down about 830 right now. So very, very close to session lows. Rick, I'll ask you about that. This attitude by Charles Evans, you think, already priced into a market? I think the Fed doing anything and everything it can, it's never going to look at this as a half-full glass. It can't. It has too much stimulus and too much at stake. From the Fed's perspective, it's a binary decision on its part. And I personally, I think that they're erring on the side of too much. You know, there's a lot of political issues here as to the next stimulus program, and I don't disregard what Steve's thinking. There are people that are hurting, but it's my geranium quote. You know, the geraniums that need water a mile away and the Fed's fire hose is a very crude way to deliver some of that needed liquidity. <laughs> that one I hadn't heard yet, Rick. Let me bring Steve back in uh, for some additional context here, Steve. How significant is it to, for someone like Charles Evans to say new action could be coming pretty soon, a new quantitative easing he's talking about? Um, and his concern about the lack of action on the congressional front isn't new, but this sort of more specifics about the Fed's next steps seems to be. So uh, just a little preface here. I read about 10 or 15 of these speeches a week. Uh, and talk to a bunch of these guys so uh, and women. Uh, so it explains a lot of my psychological problems, but more so, I can't remember the other person who just was another one who seemed to suggest that coming in September, the Fed may be announcing additional quantitative easing. I, I bring that up, Kelly, because it's significant that Evans is not alone. There seems to be additional signals. Maybe it was Brainerd, the Federal Reserve governor, earlier this week, who signaled more stuff is coming in September. Um, I think the mark that may be being built into the market uh, and the, the issue being there's not just a few geraniums being hurt. There's a lot of bushes and trees and substantial parts of the landscape that seem to lack water. Uh, Kelly, this morning we learned that there are 29 million Americans receiving some form of jobless benefits. Yes, the, uh, the initial claims improved, and that number is from the only number we can get, which is from August 15th, the latest data. There's a lot of hurt in Americans, and it's more than just geraniums, and they're closer than just 
100 yards away. All right. Well, we will leave the analogy there for right now. Stephen Rick, thank you both very much for the latest Fed headlines and the latest moves in these markets. Now, to put today's sell-off into context, take a look at the market action since the bottom in late March. The Dow and the S&P are both up more than 50 percent since then, and the tech-powered Nasdaq has skyrocketed more than 70 percent in the same period. That movie playing out in reverse today with the Nasdaq leading the decline. For more, I'm joined by Neil Hennessy, the chief investment officer at Hennessy Funds, and Samir Samana, senior global market strategist at Wells Fargo Investment Institute. Welcome to you both. Neil, is the worm turning here? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, look, at I know it's a big number, eight, 900 points, maybe a thousand points. But, you know, the market was at 29,000. It's risen very quickly. The S&P 500, if you look at it, has really been controlled by four to six stocks. As of the beginning of the week, the Nasdaq was up 31%. But if you took out Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Tesla, Facebook, next thing you know, instead of being up 31%, the NASDAQ would have been up 10%. And so you start to look at where is the money moving to? We've talked in the past, Kelly, that it's going to move out of this high-tech, high-growth arena into more stable, long-term companies that have been around and will be around for a long, long time. And I know some of your favorites right now are Whirlpool, Toll Brothers, Crown Holdings, and you can see they're kind of the bend towards uh, housing and, and the spending that we'll circle back to. Samir, let me bring you in with some thoughts on the sell-off. And, um, it, you know, it's interesting because in a way you could say, look, if the stay-at-home names, so to speak, are underperforming, if the reopening trade is outperforming, you know, that all sounds great, but then you have bond yield slumping. You have the yield curve flattening. So how would you kind of tie this all up? Sure. So we would uh, maybe take a little bit of the other other side of this to us. This is more of an interruption as opposed to a change in trend. So, you know, this probably was long overdue, right, when you start to see stocks um, rally into stock splits, right, which basically shouldn't be anything other than accounting um, phenomenon. That always worries us a little bit. So, um, you know, did, did note that maybe things were getting a little frothy, but we like um, technology. It's our most favorite sector. We like consumer discretionary. We like healthcare. Um, we like communications. We think a lot of these trends are here to stay, and those low bond yields um, only make those cash flows that a lot of these companies are bringing in hand over fist a lot more valuable. And um, I don't think it surprises us one bit that the Fed stands ready to, to do more. And if anything, um, that's what the market's been incorporating over the last few weeks is exactly what multiple to pay. And it kind of keeps coming back with probably a little bit higher than we expected because the Fed's going to be there longer um, than we expected. Neil, how, how would you respond to that? I'm, I, you know, I, I'm in agreement. I mean, it's just, it's just a blip in here. The long-term picture, habits are changing, Kelly. There's, there's a lot that's happening. I know that the, uh, the small caps have really run, but, you know, that's a whole different ballgame from this standpoint. If you look at the Russell 2000, you're looking at uh, the f top four companies. Three were gambling companies, Penn National, Caesar, Churchill, Downs. And the, the fourth largest in, in that is, is uh, Novovax, I think it is, which is a pharmaceutical company working on a vaccine. But they've gone crazy. The real market, and I think where the money should be going, is, is into the uh, mid-cap market, like our, you know, the Hennessy Mid-Cap 30, where we have truly mid-cap stocks that can actually 
withstand an economic tsunami, but big enough to buy a, a small cap, micro cap, but also large enough to be accretive to a large cap. It, and that's where I think people should be putting their money. It's interesting because you're now the third person in the last couple of weeks who said to look at the mid cap part of the market. Uh, so, so clearly people are kind of landing in the same place on that. Samir, I'll turn back to you. And for many, many people who are asking themselves right now, should I be bailing out of tech for the foreseeable future. I mean, you stated earlier that you think the previous trends are going to resume, but is the moment momentum going to be so powerful to the downside that it overwhelms the fundamentals? Sure. So, you know, what we would encourage is that investors do not get carried away with the momentum, right? So they really should be thinking on an intermediate basis, right? So at least 12 to 18 months. Um, and if they're thinking, you know, on an intermediate term basis, then a lot of these issues um, will kind of, you know, solve themselves. Uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, these are really retracements of very sharp moves. So again, um, we've seen, you know, periods like this before. We saw one in June. It took about a week or two to kind of resolve itself. And then we kind of got, got back to, to doing what we were doing. So from that standpoint, this is not the time to bail out of tech. If anything, people should have that shopping list and if they aren't favoring technology, um, it could be a really interesting opportunity over the coming weeks because, again, um, the elections, maybe even COVID cases, you know, they may lead to some volatility. But, again, if you think 12, 15 months out, it's hard for us to see an equity world that's not a little bit better than it is today. All right, we'll leave it there. But, Neil, before we go, I do want to ask you, what would you say to somebody who has owned Tesla for the last couple hundred dollars and is trying to figure out what to do next? I mean, well, they did the uh, five-for-one split, which was uh, good. And because, and then with the drop in the price now, Kelly, it's selling a little under 900 times earnings. <laughs> I'm not an economist. I'm not an analyst. But 900 times earnings? Hmm. Make up your own mind on that one. Understood. Tesla's down another 7.5% today, almost 20% this week. We'll leave it there. Thank you both, Neil Hennessy and Samir Samana, for sharing your thoughts about this market. Still ahead, we're going to have a lot more on the sell-off as the tech winners get hammered today and the market darlings like Tesla. Facebook is on pace for its worst day since June. This after the company announced a ban on new political ads for the week before the election. And the cloud companies, which have been market darlings, also falling hard. Among the worst cloud era, sinking 11% despite an earnings beat, PagerDuty is plunging 28% after disappointing results. We'll dig into it next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back from social media to the cloud companies. Tech is getting clobbered on all fronts today. Let's start with Facebook. Shares are dropping after the company announced it will not allow new political ads a week ahead of the election. Shares off a little less than 5% this afternoon. The cloud companies, which have been recent investor favorites, are getting hammered. The cloud ETF is down 6%. 
uh, pager duty for one, Cloudera both taking it on the chin, pager duty dropping 28% after disappointing earnings and guidance. No different for the chips today either. There's some of the worst names in the S&P 500, the SMH, their ETF, dropping about 5.5%. NVIDIA, a recent high flyer, down about 9% today. Joining me now to discuss all of this, our own Julia Borston and John Ford. And John, I mean, we, we've seen a little bit of this the last couple days, but it's really accelerating now. Yeah, on the cloud, I think some of what happened is investors weren't discriminating between different segments of cloud, which you and I have talked about before. I mean, when Salesforce had strong results and then Workday, names like PagerDuty got bid up. But PagerDuty is in the DevOps space, which is different from software as a service, maybe more connected to enterprise spending patterns. And, you know, PagerDuty talked about that on earnings. Yes, it dropped. It's still up for the year. And frankly, I think people might be overdoing it on the downside to some extent, similar to how they overdid it on the upside. Elaborate on that for one second. So is it possible that what they said about enterprise or, you know, corporate spending patterns has spooked the whole market? Well, I think we already knew that the enterprise was having trouble, but they also said that the trends improved throughout the quarter, and they talked about the continuing need for their services, the way that they are targeting uh, kind of larger, medium and larger-sized companies, the plans they have uh, to increase their selling capacity going forward. I don't know that investors are necessarily listening to the granularity of that message right. versus freaking out that they're not Salesforce. Right, exactly. Salesforce, of course, being uh, probably the best outperformer lately, including, or especially in the Dow. Julia, same kind of question. I mean, if there's, you could say these are some catalysts uh, on the software names for their sell-off and the social media names. I mean, are we, am I supposed to believe this has anything to do with Facebook's announcement about political ads this morning? I really think it does not have to do with Facebook's announcement about political ads. Facebook has just said that it's not going to allow any new political advertising in the last week before Election Day. So uh, we'll see the candidates still be able to run political ads that they had started before that week starts. And this really, Kelly, is just a tiny piece of their overall pie. Political advertising is very small, especially if you're just talking about one week about of political advertising. Facebook generated $17 billion in revenue last quarter. So really just a drop in the bucket. I think what we're really seeing here, uh, Kelly, is that Facebook and these other social media stocks, which are trading down today, you know, Facebook and Twitter both down about 4.5%, Snap off 1.5%, uh, Pinterest um, off about 7%. These stocks have gone way up in recent months on a con confidence that revenue, uh, ad revenue is going to be shifting over from TV and other formats into right. digital, confidence on how these companies are going to really benefit from e-commerce. And I think the stocks have just had a huge run. Yeah, and John, that's why we can talk about the fundamentals of what PagerDuty and, and Facebook and Pinterest, which is also making some moves on the political ad front, said today. But we also just know that when stocks start to go up really quickly, you've got to watch out. I mean, it can't, can't continue forever. There's one fundamental factor that's not at play here today, which is interesting to me, and it's higher interest rates. You know, a lot of times when rates start to move up, people say, watch out for the high valuation names, watch out for momentum. But even that is not the catalyst today because rates are down. So we're still in search of one. Yeah, I think when, when stocks go down, we start soul searching. We yeah. don't nearly do it as much when stocks are going up. So I, I'm not sure how much we want to put on one day. I just do want to say this about the Facebook thing. I don't think they're going to make any less money with this moratorium on new ads for the last week. I expect that eight days before the election, uh, a, a lot of these organizations' campaigns are just going to put extra ads into the system hmm. and then maybe not start paying into them until a couple of days uh, before the election. It doesn't say you, you have to put the full spend behind those ads 
as soon as you put them in. But hopefully Facebook and others will be able to vet those ads over that period of time and make sure that nothing egregious right. uh, happens right before people are voting in person. It's a little odd to me because it's almost admitting responsibility or fault. And so if that's going to be true for a week before the election, then why shouldn't it be true more broadly? But Julie, if you want quick last word on this. Well, yeah, just Kelly, it's interesting because, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is committed to free speech, but there's also this line between not only preventing manipulation and uh, potential voter fraud, but also really trying to prevent hate speech on the platform. This is just one of many issues that Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg are dealing with right now. You know, they had to deal with Australia trying to create a law mandating how they pay for news content. They have the antitrust investigation. And then, of course, they have these these um, risks around hate speech and incendiary content on the platform. So this is just one of many things that Mark Zuckerberg is thinking about yeah. ahead of the election. Anything, John, that you'd throw into the discussion as we look at the chip names, which, as I mentioned before, is really in the bottom of the S&P 500 today? I, I think fundamentally the question is how quickly uh, are markets and economies opening up uh, and how much are enterprises spending? And there are some positive signals uh, along those lines, but it's coming from a depressed base. Yeah, and, and you, have, you have cruise stocks, you have airlines, hotels. I mean, they're outperforming today. So it doesn't make sense to me that it's either part of the reopening or closing trade. It just feels like tech is up 70% since March and maybe taking a breather. Guys, thanks. We'll leave it there for now. John Fort and Julia Borston all over this big sell-off for us. Still ahead, we'll look at shares of Tesla, which are down 17% in three days now, adding another, uh, or I should say the 7%, nearly 8% portion of that coming today. The company offering new stock to raise capital. It's largest shareholder trimming its position. Is all that getting investors worried? We'll dive more into that. As we head to break, take a look at some of the names that are bucking the trend today. Moderna up 1%. They're obviously a big COVID vaccine candidate. Macy's up 10%, the best performer in the S&P right now. Other retail names not doing terribly. Beyond Meat up 1% as well. We're back in two. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Stocks are still deep in the red this afternoon with the major averages on pace for their worst day since June. Let's head to Dom Chu for a look at where we stand right now. Dom? All right. So we bounce ever so slightly off the lows of the session so far. Still, though, we have all three major indices in negative territory. The Dow right now down about 777 points. The S&P off by 121 in the Nasdaq, really pacing the declines down nearly 5 percent. 
about 563 points to the downside there. With regard to the picture shaping up for what industries or sectors are specifically in focus right now, the outperformance has been, believe it or not, in energy, which is kind of strange to say on a down day like this. But financials also outperforming as well as our utilities. Meanwhile, no surprise, technology, consumer discretionary and communication services are the real laggards there. Many of those mega cap technology or Internet names as part of that picture. Speaking of that technology picture, semiconductors. That industry hit a record high just yesterday. Now, we pulled back NVIDIA, one of the big reasons there, down 9%. Cloud computing-based companies like ServiceNow off 6% as well. And Salesforce, after that huge earnings beat, that particular stock down 6% as we look at enterprise software. And one more theme to keep an eye on, Kelly. As we look at the movements between more momentum-oriented stocks versus those that are considered more low volatility, look at that outperformance on a year-to-date basis The momentum stocks up about 18.5%. Meanwhile, low volatility stocks down about 1%. You can see here at the very end a converging a little bit of that trend. We'll see if that momentum trade continues. It'll be a key to watch, Kel. Back over to you. Yeah, that's probably the chart of the year. Uh, Dom, thank you very much. Let's get to Sue Herrera now for our CNBC News update. Sue? Thank you so much, Kelly. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. Tyson is planning to open medical clinics at some of its food plants early next year to improve the health of its workers and protect them from the virus. The meatpacking industry has been especially vulnerable to COVID infections. Authorities in Madrid shutting down a coronavirus testing center for teachers after that facility was overwhelmed and unable to maintain social distancing. Spain is screening all of its teachers for the virus as its academic year kicks off next week. TikTok has launched a marketing program to attract more advertisers with tools to measure the success of their campaigns. This comes as Oracle and a joint effort between Microsoft and Walmart bid for TikTok's U.S. operations. And one million students in Wuhan returning to their classrooms today as schools reopened there for the first time in seven months. Local officials reporting no local infections since May, despite COVID-19 originating in that city. You are up to date. That's the news update, Cal. I'll send it back to you. All right, Sue, thank you very much. While the major averages sink today, cruise lines are a relative bright spot. Carnival announced certain boats will be back on the high seas as early as this weekend. We'll have those details next with the NASDAQ down 4.5%. There's Carnival up more than 6%. We're back in two. Welcome back. Let's drill down on today's sell-off, figure out what's behind the Dow's 754-point drop right now with the Nasdaq by far the worst performer. Mike Santoli is here with some analysis on the market's rapid reversal. Philip Bowe is going to look at Tesla's big drop over the past three sessions for us. Seema Modi looking at the COVID-sensitive hotel and cruise names with several bright spots today. Kate Rogers looking at the reversal in food stocks. So, Mike, let's start with you. Is there anything to attribute this reversal to? Well, Kelly, more than anything else is the strength of the market and this sort of acceleration to the upside we had in recent days. So we did have a stampede of buyers in the stocks that were already the strongest, so the high momentum stocks. And that stampede seemed to corner itself uh, after a little while, after pushing uh, those stocks, which had really been driving the Nasdaq for a while, too much. I don't think there's anything in particular. There were some cracks this week when Apple couldn't build on those gains after the stock split. Tesla's share issuance uh, definitely was an opportunity for people to pull to take some profits there. And that seemed to spill into general risk appetites. There's some other stuff going on in the options market, which basically just shows over aggressive short term upside bets that are now 
being unwound. For perspective, the Nasdaq 100 was up 14 percent in three weeks mm. going into yesterday, giving back 4 percent of it. Yeah, and we rattled off some of those stats yesterday. We were more than 20 percent above the 200-day moving yeah. average. The relative strength index was over 70. I mean, you don't need a Ph.D. to figure out, yeah, it's looking a little overextended. So, what do, Mike, what do we look for as a kind of soft landing versus hard landing data point? Well, if, if, if the NASDAQ is to have a relatively routine pullback of the sort that it's had three or four times uh, since the spring, it would be another three or four percent to the downside. And then you would look for the market to get a little bit of support there. We obviously get a jobs report tomorrow. So I do think looking for clues that the market is responding to the macro situation as opposed to just, you know, kind of its own internal rhythms, which it's doing right now, might be something to that end. Uh, there's a big rally in Treasury, so obviously yields down a lot. But the corporate debt market is not unsettled at all, really, by what's going on in equity. So that's a net positive that suggests maybe it is just kind of a positioning and sentiment uh, kind of gut check yeah. for equity. Plus, Mike, you only have two out of three things to make a story right now. So if it's, a, <laughs> if it's you know, the macro is slowing, COVID is getting worse. Well, I'm sorry, but the cruise, hotel, and airlines are outperforming yes. today. You know, yeah, if the, it's, the action's not consistent with an idea that it's an economic scare today. The it, banks exactly, are up. Yeah. exactly. So, you know, I would imagine even if people are nervous about the jobs report, if they're, you know, worried about what's going to happen next with the Fed, then that explain to me why the reopening trade has legs. That's exactly right. So it, it's really not a consistent narrative, at least running through here. Uh, best explanation is taking some off the top. Even the S&P 500, by the way, we're back to levels of like eight days ago now. Right. right. That's fair. It's gotten quite momentum driven lately. Mike, thank you. Let's uh, turn to Phil, talk about Tesla, which, Phil, this is emblematic. This is the market, darling. Uh, stocks trading at 900 times sure. forward earnings like we were just talking to Neil Hennessy about. Um, <laughs> any, I mean, it, look, Tesla's the one place where you could say there has been a catalyst the past couple of days, the stock split, and then this share offer. Right. You could look at that as a catalyst. But in terms of the sell-off over the last three days, there's nothing that you can point to and say, aha, that is exactly the reason. I think it hit $501 a share sometime intraday on Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. And since then, look, it's pulled back all the way back to $410 a share. But keep in mind, this is a stock, if you go back to the beginning of this year, it's up approximately 400%, something like that. Um, so it has this resistance, and Mike has talked about this a little bit today, that there seems to be this resistance between 405 and 410. At least we saw it yesterday, seeing it again today. And in terms of its market cap, Tesla is now below $400 billion. But at $385, billion, wherever they're at right now, still have plenty of market cap relative to what they're looking to do. And by the way, I've had a few people suggest, well, this sell-off is because they raised $5 billion right. through a, another share offering. I, I don't know if you can attribute this to that. I mean, the stock didn't really move initially when that was announced. It really has picked up momentum with the rest of the market. Yes, and it would be odd if Tesla's share offering was the reason why cloud stocks were you know, falling big right. and the chip names were selling off as well. They have battery day coming up. I mean, anything else on the horizon here that could change the story? You've got, you've got three major data points. You've got battery day, September 22nd. Then between October 1st and 3rd, you'll get the Q3 deliveries. And then at the end of October, early November, that's when you get the third quarter financials. Those are the three really big data points that are out there. Well, at this pace, it's going to be a long time to wait. We'll see how the action continues from here. Phil, thank you, sir. Phil LeBeau. Let's turn to the leisure industry. Now, you'd think on a big down day like today, the cruise stocks would be deep in the red. But no, they are afloat. In fact, Carnival and Norwegian are the S. S&P 500's best performers. Seema Modi is here with more on what explains this, Seema. 
Kelly, it's not often you see cruise lines outperform on a down day. Carnival, though, setting sail this weekend. Two cruises out of Italy. For now, only Italian citizens are being allowed on those ships. COVID diagnostic tests will be provided for all guests. For Carnival, the Italian market is such a small piece of the pie, but the hope, at least for the market, is that if all goes well and the ships remain COVID-free, then these protocols that they're using on board will serve as a model for U.S. cruises. But from my reporting, the discussions between the cruise lines and the CDC still haven't made any meaningful progress uh, this summer. So unclear whether Americans, you and I, will get to sail this fall. For now, you're seeing a lot of that hope, though, being priced into shares of the cruise lines. And I could, you see, I could even paint a, a coherent market picture that said, well, the cruise lines are bucking the trend because they have had industry-specific news. But the hotel names, uh, they, well, the airlines, for one, I mean, even there you're seeing small gains today, which tells you this is not kind of a, you know, COVID is spreading, we're shutting things down again story. What is going on with the hotel stocks? So the hotels, as you say, not down as much as the broader market, but year-to-date chart will tell you the real story. A lot of that negativity has already been priced into these stocks, and now there's further warning signs, which is delinquencies are on the rise. Two weeks ago, Kelly, you and I were discussing a short list of New York hotels that had missed their debt payments, so 30 mm. to 60 days out. And at the top of that list was the Hilton Times Square. Last night, the owner saying uh, that they are closing. They're shutting their doors there, 200 jobs going with it. And now the focus turns to some of the other hotels that are delinquent. The standard in the meatpacking, the mark in the Upper East Side, in total, 34% of New York hotels are delinquent. And that number actually rises in other urban markets like Chicago and Houston, which is also getting hit by the weakness it's seeing in the energy sector. So now the focus turns to not just the hotel brands, which use that franchise model. You know, they collect that fee mm -hmm. uh, every, time that comp every time that hotel brings in more revenue, uh, but also the real estate investment trusts that own the underlying asset. Great point. And Seema, you mentioned some pretty iconic New York City names there, especially the standard. You know, but I, I guess what we can say from today's action is that the news, while troubling, is to some extent reflected in the share prices already today. Yeah, I mean, you look at where these stocks are trading in comparison to a year ago. Uh, much, It's been a really tough story for the hospitality industry. A lot of it's already priced in. And plus, they continue to uh, knock on the doors of Congress saying we want a relief fund for the commercial backed securities, uh, securities and they still haven't gotten that level of um, approval from, from Congress yet, which is still a big concern. That's a great point. And maybe investors hope that something could be coming down the pike. We'll see. Seema, thank you very much for now. Appreciate it. Seema Modi walking us through what's happening in the all-important leisure sector. Let's check in on the restaurant stocks, though. Different story today. McDonald's, Chipotle, Papa John's, some of the best performers this year, all taking a breather today as the industry as a whole is facing a labor shortage, as noted by the Beige Book yesterday. Kate, let's start with the stocks. What's driving this action? Hey, Kelly, well, you just mentioned that a lot of the stocks that have really outperformed year to date and during the pandemic in particular are taking a breather today. Wingstop down around five and a half percent. Chipotle, Papa John's down around four percent. Domino's down three percent. McDonald's and Starbucks performing a bit better, but both down between one and two percent each. As you mentioned, not related to this sell off, but more broadly within the restaurant industry, there is a labor shortage starting to develop. The National Restaurant Association actually said that 40 percent of restaurant operators that responded to a recent survey of the group's members said that they added employees to payroll in July and August, but that 77% said that they had difficulties either bringing back their employees or finding new employees. So that's definitely an interesting trend because you have to remember, 8 million workers were either uh, completely fired or furloughed 
uh, from March through May, according to the National Restaurant Association. So there's been a ton of job losses here, and now you're seeing some trouble trying to bring workers back on. Is that because of safety concerns? Because I would imagine in a soft labor market that, you know, people would say, look, I, I don't want to take the risk, but if I have to, I have to. I think there are definitely a few things at play here. One, obviously, safety concerns, and that's why you're seeing a lot of the big publicly traded names come out and say, hey, this is what we're doing to make it safe, not only for you as a customer, but also for workers to come in here. There was also enhanced unemployment benefits. The NFIB said that about a third of its members uh, said that that extra $600 a week did make it more difficult to bring workers back on. That's not restaurant specific, but it is small business specific. And one other thing to remember, if a restaurant's operating at 25 or 50 percent capacity, is it worth it for you as a server to go in there and work? Will you make as much money in tips? You know, there are many, many different things tied to the pandemic, I think, that are kind of factoring into some of these labor decisions and potentially making it more difficult for workers uh, to be brought back on. Yeah. And if they have other options, maybe they can look elsewhere. Like you said, if it's if it's certainly if it's not going to be worth it economically on top of everything else. I've seen the signs up all over town looking for people to hire. It is an interesting feature in this. Kate Rogers, thank you, ma'am. We appreciate it giving us the restaurant lowdown. Well, the Nasdaq is on pace for its worst day since June 11th, and tech is the worst performing sector today. Dow's down 815 points right now. Is the tech trade finally starting to crack, or does the downturn create some big-name buying opportunities? That debate is next. Welcome back. We are tracking this market sell-off with the Dow down 829 points. It's just a few points off the session lows. We've been sitting here for the last couple of hours now. That's nearly a 3% loss for the blue chips. By the way, it'd be worse if Apple hadn't done its stock split. Here are the sectors. Technology down 5.6%. Uh, everyone else down 2 to 3%. Energy and outperformer, if you want to call it that. But don't forget, we are up massively since the March lows, despite all of the headwinds we've had on the economy and with the spread of the coronavirus. Is, the, is this today, is what we've seen this week, is it all the start of a larger correction? Our next guest say there's more to go. I'm joined by Jim Urio. He's managing director at TJM Institutional Services. And Karen Firestone is chair and CEO at Aureus Asset Management. Both are CNBC contributors. It's great to have you guys here. So, Jim, I'll start with you. You think there's more to go in terms of this sell-off? Not, not much to go. I don't think this is the big one. And I, I, I cite the fact that we're going into it yesterday, remember, that VIX levels were at 26, 27, highly elevated for, you know, when juxtaposed against the fact that we were on all-time highs. To me, what that means is that people weren't too complacent going into this. Everybody knows, <laughs> knows it was frothy. Everybody knows it was elevated. So to me, that means it's not the big one. Something else that it isn't is the big reopening rotation where people are getting out of the five tech names and into the Russell. I know we've seen some some buoyancy in cruise and hotels, but I don't think it's that either. I think this is just kind of market whack-a-mole. Those, those names, those uh, particular five tech names have just gone too, too far too fast, and now they're getting corrected. I, and it's interesting what you say, Jim, because I, I would have thought if this was the big reopening rotation, maybe we'd see interest rates going up on this idea that, you know, at least longer term interest rates of, hey, the economy is looking better. Things, you know, prospects are brightening, but we're not seeing that. So then if it's if it's not the big one of either one of those, then then what is it? It's a, to me, it's an eight to 12 percent correction in the Nasdaq. I'm short the eleven thousand puts. That's where I'm planning on getting long. And I think to me, this is perfectly healthy market function to shake people out when they temporarily forget about risk. Now, what I was saying before about the VIX, 
you know, if VIX was at 12 or 13 going into this, I'd be worried that people were way too out of touch with risk. Sure. But now I think it's this, this is a reasonable move. All right. So, Carrie, I'll turn to you. You've got a, a lot of great thoughts on some individual names in particular here. But would you echo what Jim thinks overall or, or are you more concerned about how much of a correction we could be seeing here? Well, I think if you uh, consider that the NASDAQ, just let's talk about technology and NASDAQ names. It's up 18% in the last six weeks. There's been that feeding frenzy that's occurred about names such as Zoom, Tesla, even Salesforce, great company, bought up 26% last week on the day that they reported earnings. That's extreme. So you have more companies that are 70% or more above their 200-day moving average. This is an opportunity for people to sell stock that they've made a lot of money in very quickly. I think this move today has much less to do with the economy reopening than it has to do with the price level and the extreme extension of some of these names that yeah. have been just rocket ships recently. I, I like how you put that. It's an opportunity to sell stocks. You know, we talk a lot about opportunities to buy <laughs> stocks, but you say this is an opportunity to sell, which implies you can still get good prices. It's yeah. only been a couple day affair. Let's talk about some areas, Carrie, where you do think you can buy. Um, there are some names that you think still yeah. offer some compelling value, and they include Facebook, which to me was surprising, but several others as well. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, Facebook is up nicely this year. It's up close to 50%, but there's a lot of opportunity. They've really taken advantage of, you know, bringing people together, but expanding their network. People have adopted more Facebook applications than they might have otherwise. Pre-pandemic, uh, we think it has more to go. Interest rates being low is good for them, and advertisers will start to come back. So we like Facebook. We like Charter Communications. It's U.S.-based, not a content producer. People are using more wireless. 5G is a plus for them. Uh, we like Blackstone. I mean, there's an opportunity with low interest rates. They're the biggest of the private equity companies. We think that has a major upside, 50% upside from this level here. Yeah, and I even see American Tower and Remax in here. Uh, yeah. So a, a lot of names yeah. that kind of come up on the screen. Jim, I'll give you the, the last thought here. Where would you be recommending people kind of move into? First of all, you, uh, Carrie said that the movement in those tech names was extreme, but I think it's important to remember that the fundamental fundamental story is still relatively extreme as well. We just heard Jay Powell on Thursday saying he's going to get um, inflation come hell or high water. The things that I'm looking at are, you know, I'm in gold and silver. I'm going to probably be looking at miners, maybe something that pays a dividend from those names as well, too. But I think that this is a pullback in all the things that have been the, uh, you know, the David Tepper trade, the buy everything trade. And I'm still a, a proponent of that. I just think these are the times where, you know, it, it gets a little tough. Yeah. Uh, well, appreciate you both joining me today to describe the correction and what to do amidst it. Jim Yorio and Carrie Firestone. We've got some breaking news out of the White House now. Let's get to Kayla Tausche with those details. Kayla. Kelly, the White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany just wrapped a briefing a few moments ago, and there were some headlines on policy-related topics that I wanted to bring to you. First, on the topic of uh, funding for another stimulus package and funding to keep the government open past September 30th, the Press Secretary reiterated that the White House does not support shutting down the government and expressed confidence that they would be able to secure funding for both a stimulus package and to keep the government open. We will see how that plays out when Congress returns over the next few weeks. On the subject of 
Peter Navarro, whose federal contracts are under investigation by a congressional panel for potentially charging the government more than certain ventilators were available at retail prices. Uh, McEnany said that the White House is proud of the work that Navarro has been doing and that his contracts have allowed the federal stockpile to grow to levels it hasn't seen in decades. On the FDA, she said there is no pressure by the, by the administration for the FDA to approve a coronavirus vaccine before the election, despite some reporting out there to the contrary. And finally, on the election and some comments from President Trump yesterday in North Carolina, where he seemed to advocate that people should be voting in that state, both by mail and in person at the polls. She tried to clarify that what he meant was if someone was not clear that their vote had been tabulated, then they should consider voting in person. But that still raises a lot of questions about the legality of that. Kelly. All right, Kayla, thank you very much. Several headlines from the White House this afternoon are Kayla Tausche. Coming up, Apple is one of the biggest drags on the Dow today, and that's even after the split. It could have been a lot worse if it happened last week. The company's selling off nearly 7% right now. That's its worst day since March. Is there more pain ahead, and why now? We'll talk about that next. Welcome back. The tech sector getting crushed in today's sell-off with the Dow off more than 800 points. Tech is on pace for its worst day since June. And Apple is one of the big reasons why. It's down more than 6%. It's on pace for its worst day since March 16th. So why now? Let's bring in Tom Forte. He's senior research analyst at DA Davidson. Tim Higgins is Wall Street Journal tech reporter and a CNBC contributor. It's great to have you both here. Tom, I'm just going to start with you as the analyst covering the stock. Do days like today or weeks like this week just make you scratch your head? Well, I definitely think, and thank you, Kelly, for having me on, that you're seeing a pullback in tech broadly on favorable headlines related to COVID. For Apple specifically, I think you clearly had some momentum investors buying the stock into the split, selling the stock on completion of the split. But from a fundamental standpoint, I don't think anything's changed for Apple. As Logitech pointed out, you still have a billion consumers working remotely, a billion learning remotely, and when you couple that with the expected launch of a 5G smartphone this fall and what should be a multi-year upgrade cycle, I still think shares of Apple are really well positioned for the next 12-month period yeah. despite today's pullback. Let me ask you a follow-up to that, Tom. <laughs> Not that you're a macro guy, but why aren't interest rates going up today? You know, if we're all talking about favorable news on COVID, why aren't we? I mean, my bigger point for Apple investors is, should they now be concerned that the progression of the economy into a reopening phase means that this stock is going to perform poorly? And the answer, I would argue, is no to the extent that I don't see how a reopened economy uh, dampens the consumer uh, preference for 5G faster smartphones. Uh, I would say those would be beneficial both if we are sheltering in place and working uh, if there is a vaccine tomorrow. So, again, I don't think fundamentally these COVID headlines are wonderful. Uh, progress on COVID is excellent. Yeah. But I don't think it dampens the fundamental story for Apple. Okay, Tim, I'll bring you in with the very same question. And it's interesting because we now know that Apple will probably have a banner year next year because some iPhone demand was crimped this year by the pandemic. It's likely to come back. They're going to push the iPhone 12 launch into a little bit of next year. So, you know, is the problem that that's just priced in? I mean, how much was Apple up this year before the sell-off, 
Well, exactly. Going into any so-called super cycle, that's what we're in the, on, on the cusp of getting into when the new new phone arrives. There's always huge excitement in the market about what that potential is. And usually we see a little bit of a fall off once that new phone gets introduced. But geez, in the last few weeks uh, ahead of the stock split, uh, wow, things were uh, going up dramatically. And, and we had talked in the past about what were the fundamentals to justify that. And now maybe this week, it's just uh, some people taking a little bit of profit. Yeah. So I guess the question now is, where does it land, Tim? And similarly, you know, do, if we were to say, what, are the, what is the direct impact of the pandemic on Apple? What would you say that that effect is? Well, I'd say at this point, it would seem to be Apple and some of the other tech giants have been the winners of the pandemic, right? In a world where uncertainty reigns, uh, these are some of the key companies that people think are going to have a future and are uh, a place to put your money at a time when there's a great uncertainty of what what's a good spot for your money, right? And so that's what we've seen in the last few months. Uh, today is just more of that volatility. Yeah, right? fair enough. Final question for you, Tom, is I, I look to your note, perhaps it's not totally updated, but you had about a $120 price target post-split. We're at 122 on Apple today. So even if you're constructive on their fortunes over the next year, is that already priced in? I would argue that uh, there is still upside to where the shares are trading today on the 5G. You asked the pandemic's influence on Apple. It's been a transition to e-commerce sales versus in-store physical sales at the Apple Store, and it's been consumers buying a lot of tablets and laptops in addition to smartphones. So on the 5G upgrade cycle, I still think there's upside from today. All right. Gentlemen, thank you both today. Talking Apple, we appreciate it. Tom Forte of D.A. Davidson and Tim Higgins of The Wall Street Journal. That does it for The Exchange today. We'll have a whole lot more on today's sell-off coming up on Power Lunch. Dow's down 804 points. Not much movement this hour off of the lows. Nasdaq's down 573 points, nearly 5%. I'll join Tyler Matheson with much more after this quick break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day. Same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.